Well, this has been a great series. Have you guys enjoyed this series, Living God's Love Out Loud? I think it's been really relevant, you know, to think about what if we, if we are these people who are loved by this incredible God who is love, what does it look like then when we go to work or what does it look like in our homes or uh, all these different places? And we're concluding the series and we will launch a series called Church Rewired. Uh, starting next Sunday, so we look forward to that. Brennan's going to launch that. Think with me for a moment. Um, if someone were to ask you, give me a verse or two that communicates the big idea of the Bible, what, what verses would you say? John 3.16. People love that, you know? For God so loved the world. And that, you see it in end zones and stadiums, and it, it does communicate the immense love of God and what he's doing. How about another one? Don't worry, you won't be asked to leave church if you get the wrong answer. Any ideas? Think about this. Here's a clue. What, what verse do all the prophets in the law hang on? According to the writer of the book. Yeah, the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus announces that this, that's, that's the big deal. That's, that's the, the, the big message. And it's, it's, it's interesting that Jesus uh, unites the two. The Shema would have been declaring, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and that you should love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then there'd be a second. But when he's asked by this teacher, what's the most important commandment? Jesus links the two, which should make us go, really? Loving God and our neighbor are like that? On the same level, the same plane? And your brain should begin to turn and I think what it does, you start going, well, we get that we should love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, but our neighbor and ourself, what, what does that mean? And so uh, I think when we, we notice different truths that, that we can't quite settle on, we tend to race by them. We tend to go, someday it'll make sense. It'll, 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 it'll all fall in the right spot, but right now, loving God and my neighbor, that, that seems... A, like a lot to get my head around. I'll pause that for a minute and let me ask you to do a little assignment in the privacy of your own head and heart. See if you can name, by name, all your neighbors that are around you to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west. Just go ahead, begin to run down the list of who are my neighbors and go as far as you can. How many of you can go up and down your street and name all your neighbors? I knew my wife would do that. I'm not surprised, Maria. Wendy, you can too. Yeah. I was telling first service that my wife, Betsy, whenever I'm with her, I feel like I'm with a rock star because she's a, she's a library uh, librarian. So she's at the counter of uh, the Shoreview Library. And so tons of people see her. So if I'm in like Target with her, it, it, it always happens. People will walk around the aisle and then they'll, they'll kind of look at her and they keep looking at her and I can see him looking at her 
And I think, oh, here we go again. They're going to ask for autographs and everything. She's a librarian. That's where you go. Oh, and they go, oh, that's right. But she knows. She does. She walks around the neighborhood and prays for our neighbors. She knows them all. But the author of this book, the co-authors, Jay and Dave, uh, have done continual surveys. And they'll ask church members to fill out this little map. They've actually adopted the name. They call it the chart of shame. Because only 10% of the people in churches can name all those neighbors. Now, it's not that we want to put a cone of shame on you guys today and kick you out the door. That's not the point. Because the reality is, is that in very few places can people do it. In fact, these guys got severely convicted back in 2009. So you don't feel like, oh, I'm the only one that can't name all my neighbors. Here's what happens. And here's what uh, Jay says, Jay Pacek was a pastor of my uh, daughter and son-in-law for many years out in Denver. He says, in 2009, I gathered a group of 20 significant leaders in the Denver metro area, and we wanted to think and pray about what could we do as churches to impact our community. That sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, shouldn't the church be thinking about that? So they invited the local mayor, Bob Frey, to join them, and they asked a simple question. What can we, as churches, do to serve our community? And it launched this discussion that you would guess they would talk about. And they talked about, you know, the homeless. And they talked about education. And they talked about the need for better housing and all these different things and the crime thing. But here's, here's the, the, the thought the mayor share, shared that just blew their minds. Listen to this. He says, as we were talking, the mayor said something that inspired us in our joint church movement. This is what he said. The majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become better neighbors. This is a mayor of a major metro area, an influential one in the country, and he says the way that we do this is by neighboring. In fact, he goes on to say, he says, I'm always surprised. I'll get so many people that will come and see me as the mayor and say, Mayor, we should start this program. Or we should do that program. And that happens at church, too. People say, we should do this or do that. And he said, there's no doubt in my mind, after all these years of public service, the single best way to help our community is to be a good neighbor. Do you believe that? And so I read this and I'm like, Jesus, you are such a genius. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus is saying, this is the way we can change the world. We can bring it back into the fold, the way that we can transform it, because if you're a good neighbor and you're a kingdom citizen, it will change it. Neighborhood by neighborhood, neighbor by neighbor. So the question then, as I'm reading this, I'm saying, well, Lord, then why don't we do this? Why? Why do we pull up short? And I I really started to get stuck on this thing about love your neighbor as yourself. Do you guys ever wonder about that? Like sometimes I, you know, I think, what is that supposed to look like? What does it look like to love someone like myself? And sometimes I don't really like myself, let alone love myself. So what do you do then? So these questions were emerging. And as as I thought and I prayed and I studied, I thought really it comes down to there's two things that get in the way of walking in a way that our, our love or being loved by God touches our neighbor. The first one is, we forget that we're loved. We lose sight of this. 
we somehow race by because, you know, you hear it here all the time. I, I was saying to first service that, you know, I, I believe that every preacher has like a core that they preach from. It's like a message God has grafted into them. And for Brendan, the love of God is a big deal. It should be a big deal to all of us. But you guys hear it all the time, don't you? It's like, here's Brendan, what are you gonna hear? God loves you. You're gonna hear that over and over again. But it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to lean our life on it. See that? It's different. Do I believe it in such a way as I just put everything I have on it? Because this is what it really means is that when he announces things like I have loved you with an everlasting love, what God is saying is I am love. I am perfect love. I am unstoppable love. I am constant love. I am love that's here 365 days a year all the time. I am love like you'll not experience on this planet. I am perfect love. And what I'm saying to you as my people is all that I am and all that I have is now granted to you. And I want you to walk in that kind of love. I want you to walk in that kind of awareness. I want you to walk in what the psalmist says, that surely goodness and mercy will follow, follow me all the days of my life. Because this is important that we realize he starts this. He's the one that comes with his perfect love over and over and over again. Otherwise, when we read this, we think we have to do that to get his love. And if you're like me and you read this, oh, we need to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and your mind and your strength, I think, I, I can't do that. Can you do that? I mean, all your mind, all your thoughts, all your strength. So I don't think it means that we come at it from that angle. I think it means this, that if we really understand that this God loves you with an everlasting love, that all that he is, all that he has is yours, then it makes it very easy to go, well, if that's the case, here you go. You can have Mark Spencer. That's quite a trade. That's quite a deal. In fact, when, when back in October 17th, 1980, when I was there at St. Olaf in my head resident apartment and I had prayed the prayer, and as, as I was sitting in the presence of God and seeing my life, my low light reel, you know, all the places I should have died or places where I should, you know, I just did stupid stuff play out before me. When I got to the end of that, there was this pregnant moment where I could just tell God was right here and I had seen what it was like when Mark Spencer drove his life. It was an easy swap. I said, man, you drive. I'm a mess. But you see, it's one thing to start that way. It's another to live that way. That we, we don't so much realize that, you know, we're a mess, but that God has us and that in his goodness, he wants us. I'll hold that mark. I'll take that mark. I'll handle that mark. Don't worry. And we hear this, and I think what happens is we might be in a season where life is tough. And you go, you know, I had a bad day yesterday. Where was God then? You don't know the kind of boss. I have Godzilla for a boss. Where's God there? 
Or I have Godzilla for a kid. <laughs> you know, and you, what, what we tend to do, we don't do this deliberately, but we're in a dangerous place because instead of our theology prevailing over our life, what happens is we flip it. And we go, oh, because I'm experiencing this in life, this is the way God is. If my life is bad, God is bad. If I'm alone, then God doesn't care. If I'm having a hard time, then God's a mean God. And we flip it around. And the reality is, is that God is saying, listen, mine is an everlasting all the time. You might be going through a dark corner, but light's around it. You might be going through a hard spot, but a river's coming. You might be going through a dry place, but believe me, it's going to rain. You might be going through a hard spot, but I am going to wrap my loving arms around you and bring you into a better place because I am love. You can trust me. And so all that I do in all my life as I walk through needs to be undergirded by this. This is why John says we love, why? Because he first loved us. We can't know what love is. We can't conjure up love unless we encounter love. It's, it's not some filler that the Apostle John came up with, you know, thinking, oh, well, I got some space here in the papyrus. Let me just write this down. It's a reality, people. We know what love is because he loves us first. And there's a flow that's meant to happen. This is what Jesus is communicating in his last hours with his students. He says, listen, I want my love to touch you so that you can love others. So that it will flow through and minister. My command is this, love each other, how? As I have loved you. And you see, when we encounter this amazing, unlimited, unstoppable, eternal, everlasting love, and it flows, then we can give it away. And when we lose sight of the reality, we feel like this. That's a distressing picture. It's like, ah! You know, I, I know that school is already started or is going to start tomorrow for many people. I can remember how, you know, hearing a chorus of young moms when they would go, oh, at last. You know, because they've spent a summer with their kids mobbing them and running around and they're just like, ah! Does anyone have that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we still get it when they're older. They're always around. You might be in a work situation where you think, I just can't take another thing. You might be in a neighborhood where you feel that way. But when you feel this way, it's a call back to resting and trusting God's eternal source. Here's a text that you can't argue with. Don't be afraid, little flock. Why? Why should you not be afraid? Well, because your father has been coerced. Someone got God in an armbar and made him do this. Does it say that? Someone put a big gun to God's giant head and said, you got to do this. Does it say that? Did you guys have coffee this morning? <laughs> Let's read this together. Read it. Do not be afraid, little flock. Who's the little flock? That's us, right? Why? For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The whole thing. 
See, you can be thinking about this. Oh, Mark, I think you're stretching this. I think you just want us to believe it. There it is in black and white from Jesus' own mouth. Come down to heaven to say, hey, you guys, don't you worry. Don't you be afraid. God is pleased. He's pleased to give you a little thin slice, a bologna snow. What is he, what's he giving you? The kingdom, the whole kid and caboodle. And, and when we find ourselves in this place where we feel like, ah, oh, I'm starving, we gotta go back with good theology and say, Lord, I know you wanna give me the kingdom. As I walk through this dark place, this hard space, whatever it is, as I climb uphill, I know, God, that your love is here. The kingdom is here. It's kingdom come now. You are God's. You didn't choose him. He chose you. He says it plainly. Do you realize that? You're his. And when he comes and he gets you, he says to you, Tony, everything I have is yours. Everything. Not just some things. Not just the things you can, everything. It all is yours. And when we go through hard times, you know, I think as kids, we all have hard times, but the reality is, is that I'm a Spencer. I can remember as a kid in elementary school getting an argument with my mom whether I should wear a stocking cap in winter. I don't know what that's all about. But, you know, just, you, then you're walking to school, you know, and it's, she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask all the neighbors to watch and make sure you got your stocking cap on. <laughs> you know, and you're... I stupid mom, and I'm not a Spencer anymore. Does it change? Am I, am I still a Spencer? Yeah. I am. I could change my name. Am I still a Spencer? Yeah. Do the DNA test. Where are you from? Spencer. Underneath all this fur, it's Spencer. You're stuck, buddy. Underneath it all, you belong to God. And he says to you, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and you're mine. And we have to live out of that. Because when we don't, the second thing happens, we forget to share. <laughs> I love this picture. That's just, and that's, what, that's what kids do. They do, you know, openly what we adults want to do discreetly. There it is, you know, we forget to share. Here's the reality. Everything on this planet is finite. And we know it. And sometimes we feel like, ooh, that's my last cookie. Have you guys heard the wonderful cookie story? That's a wonderful story. It's in an airport. You know in the airport sometimes when you're waiting for your flight, you've got the black chairs and you can't find one that's got an open row? All, who all wants open rows? I want open rows because I'm an introvert. You know, maybe the extroverts want. But anyhow, as the story goes, this lady, had, she buys some of the, um, what are those big popular chocolate chip cookies? What is it? Not grandma's. I can't hear, I can't. Mrs. Fields. Yeah, Mrs. Fields, thank you. <laughs> you got to spell it out in crayon for Spencer and hold the sign up. Mrs. Fields, Mrs. Fields cookie. So she buys them and she goes and, you know, every, it's all packed. So she sits down and she puts her cookies here and there's a guy here and a guy here. And all of a sudden, as she's getting some stuff out to read, she hears some crumbling and the guy here 
is digging into the bag. And then he takes the cookie out and eats it. And he looks at her, and he has the audacity to take another cookie out and go, want one? And she can't believe it, so she takes it and she eats it. She thinks, okay, maybe this really isn't happening. Then he takes another one. Then he takes two and stacks them up like an Oreo and eats them both. And she can't believe that she's ready to call airport security. And so she starts eating cookies as fast as she can. Because cookies are finite, right? You only have so many cookies in that bag. That's the reality in the world. And then she sticks her hand in. He sticks her hand in and there's one cookie left. And they're doing the Old West hand duel. And he gets the cookie. And he pulls it out and he looks at it and he smiles. And he says, here, you have it. She's about ready to knock this guy out. And then he gets up and he takes the bag and he throws it out. And as he gets up, her bag of cookies falls forward. <laughs> Little humbling. <laughs> cookies are finite. Everything on the planet's finite except for one thing humans. We're infinite. You and I right now are starting our eternal life. It's not going to happen when you pass. It happens now. You are eternal beings now, not later, now. You're living eternal life now. So all that we think of when we think about eternity and eternal life is there in the kingdom and we're valuable. But we live in a world that's finite and so we get panicked and this is why Jesus says, listen, go and do likewise. In the story that we're going to read, he's saying, you've got to practice this. And the world's going to tempt you to think that, you know, you're, you're running out, so you've got to hang on to it. But you need to give. Because freely you've received, freely give. Exactly. And this idea here of go and do is a Hebrew concept. Here in Western thinking, we think if we've learned something, we've just simply been able to pass the test. So I remember organic chemistry, egads, you know? Dr. Scorch, we call him, is Dr. Scott. He was a great teacher because he used to, he'd be writing something on the board and then he'd go, oh boy, that, that is an amazing thought. That right there should be something that I would write down on my notebook because that could be on the test that's coming up Wednesday. You know, so he'd highlight it. So if you missed anything, Scorch was passing down. You deserved it. But so how you would get through organic chemistry is you would, you would memorize your brains out. And then you'd pass chapter three. And then when chapter four would come, would you remember any of chapter three? No. But your grade would say you did. But to the Hebrews, they're like, mm-mm. If you know it, what happens is you do it. We see it in your life. It's evidence. It isn't something that you just think or say, I believe that. It's something that you're living. It's, your do it's what you practice. And so Jesus is concerned that as we receive his love, that we're moving through a place where it is flowing to. I want you to practice this. It's what he's concerned about. And it's what we're designed to do and be. And it's part of what concerns me is, is that over the years, I've had so many people that will come to me and they'll say, Mark, I don't really encounter God's love. When you guys talk about it, I don't know that I've, I've experienced it. 
And I'll ask you a few questions, and what I'll find is, it's like they've had a few experiences maybe where they felt the love of God or thought about it or encountered it, and they hang on to it like that last chocolate chip cookie, and they don't dare share it. But you see, the doorway to experiencing more of the love of God isn't just from heaven. It experiences here on earth as we give. See, all of you have experienced, haven't you experienced where you've done something nice for a person and it's been good for you too? You're like, oh, that was awesome. That was great. I was telling the uh, first service that I was at Target and of course when you're, when you're thinking about you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you're pondering and thinking and as I'm walking out to my car, I notice there's this little old lady and she's using the car like a walker and she's got her cane in the car. And so she catches my peripheral vision as she's making her way to her car. And I'm noticing her, and then I'm noticing her cart, and in the cart she's got a microwave. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. How is this little old lady going to get this microwave? So Spencer's slow, but he does catch on. I'm thinking, oh, this is a neighborly opportunity. And I, you know, so I'm kind of watching and I'm waiting. And she gets to her car, she gets her keys out, and she opens her trunk. And, and I'm, I just was kind of waiting for the moment, watching, how, you know, what is she going to do? And she puts her hands in the box, and there's nothing to really lift the box by. So then she takes her cane, and she puts it under the box and starts propping it like this, like somehow she's going to flip it into the trunk. And at this point in time, I think, okay, it's mark time, it's go time. And I begin to make my move, but all of a sudden in the car in front of her, out jumps this college student, because Bethel and Northwestern, are, you know, they're, they're right there by this target, so you see them a lot. And out hops this college student and says, ma'am, ma'am, I'll help you, can I help you? And he goes over and he picks up the microwave and he puts it in the trunk, and I think, a boy. And I was watching her face, how do you think her face looked? Smiley face. How do you think his face looked? Think he was all frowny face? I'll help you do that. No, he's, he's got joy in his face. Then, this is what I loved. Because now I'm locked in and I'm just watching this. And the student says to her, he says, ma'am, where do you live? And then, you know, little ladies with canes can be, it's like a sword, like Braveheart. And she kind of looks at him like, why are you asking me that? She gives him that, you know, kind of the grandma look. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, I, I, I just wanted you to know, if you want me to, I will follow you in my car and bring this in the house for you. Whoa. I was like, that? The super neighbor. Give that guy a smiley face on his forehead or something. It's just beautiful when you see. And see, there's actually a whole thing. Sociologists say that when we see good deeds, our mood gets elevated. It's, called, it's literally called elevation. And because of our mirror neurons, when we see good deeds, we experience them. Even though we're secondhand, there's a goodness that happens. But when we lose sight of these things and we lose sight of the kingdom, what happens is we sink into me. And I, I realize this when I think about me, when I'm not loving my neighbor, I'm a Ferris me. Really. Because I think Pharisees get a little bit of a bad turn. I, I, don't, I don't think, I mean, these guys are they're trying to live righteously. They really are. And their knowledge is the law, and they're trying to figure out, how do we do this stuff? I don't think they, you know, they, 
they stayed up late at night and they said, well, Joshua, you know, how, let's be the meanest hypocrites we can be tomorrow. I, I think they were really trying to figure it out. Now, some might have been power hungry, but they, they, they didn't get black jerseys like the Oakland Raiders. They're, they're not, they're not, they're, they're people that are like us. They're really trying to figure out how to do this. And what's in them, guess what, is in me. And it's in you. And we can slide sometimes when we just get too caught onto things. And this is the problem with the teacher, the expert of the law. When he's talking to Jesus, he wanted to justify himself. We all want to be right. Don't we? That's what the, all those discussions we have with our spouse or we had with our parents or whatever it is. It's, I want to be right. But you see, the inexhaustible bigness of God it takes us past that because I've given him my soul and my mind and my heart. All that I am is his and like Psalm 62 says, my honor and my reputation rest on him, not me being right. But what happens then is we go through life and you, and you, think, and you see someone that is in need because what neighbor literally means is it's a combination of two words. Nay is from the root word meaning nigh which is to draw close, and burr is to dwell. So the people that you encounter, you, you be with, they're, they're your neighbor. But what happens when I'm in the Ferris me state is I'll, I'll go, I'll, I don't know them, or I'll say, I don't trust them, or they're not in my neighborhood, I guess it's not my job, or they're different than me, or this is the one that I, I get busted on all the time, I'm too busy. Do you know most of the Bible story happens via interruptions? Go through it. Look at it. Old and New Testament. Most of what happens is people's lives get interrupted by God. And I'll tell you, Father is honest. You know, it's like, Spencer, you got to slow down, buddy. You think you got the plan. And I'm like, this. And it's like, God, you've got to help me. And see, I don't know the reasons why these guys are going down, but here's the story. Jesus is trying to help this guy break through and understand who is his neighbor. And he says, a man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho is a perfect place for robbers because there's huge cliffs, so you're going through this like Grand Canyon thing. And they beat him up. And they take all of his stuff. And a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side and so too a Levite. When he came to the place, he passed by the other side. Now the priests are the descendants of Aaron and the Levites are of the tribe of Levi. They're not related to Aaron so they can't be priests. So they're like associate pastors going along. But as these people listen to this, think about what they'd be going. I mean, the modern translation would be, a pastor happened to be going along the same road. Surely the pastor will stop? Surely he will. Brennan goes on the other side. Well, here comes Sharon. Here comes Mark on the other side. So now the audience is like, oh, it's going to happen. And, and we always have reasons. We always have reasons. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, comes to the man, he sees him, and he takes pity on him. 
I mean, this is the guy that, he, it's like he stops his car, he goes and attends to this guy, ministers first aid, puts the guy in the back seat of his car, he's a bloody mess. So now your back seat is a bloody mess. He takes him to a hospital, says, I'm gonna pay this guy's medical bills, here's a down payment, two days wages, puts it on the table. He doesn't even know this guy. And then Jesus says, okay, time to play t-ball. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I mean, he cues it up. Jesus' stories are so simple, but poignant, aren't they? I mean, this guy, what's he gonna say? So he concedes, he says, no mas, he goes, the expert in the law, he says, the one who had mercy. See, the one who understood not just truth, but mercy. The one who had experienced not just principles, not just proverbial wisdom, but understood love. He was the one out of that love that stops and lets love flow through him. Jesus says to him what he says to us because as we listen today, the challenge for us is to go and do likewise. To be good Hebrews, to be ones who hear and do the word of God. Because God's in your neighborhood, I know he is. You know how I know he's in your neighborhood? Because he's in your house. He's in your heart. And some of the only places that people are gonna encounter God, are gonna meet God, are gonna be through you, through your care, through the attention, the fact that you notice. Will it be inconvenient? Sometimes. Sometimes it won't be any big deal. It'll be like they're coming to the mailbox and you just go, hey neighbor, how you doing? Other time you might say, how you doing? And all of a sudden their head hangs and they go, and they start crying. You had other plans, but all of a sudden you're there. People, I think this may be one of the most important things for us to get. Lyle Shaler, a church expert, says this, the biggest challenge facing the church is to address the fragmentation and the discontinuity of the American lifestyle. In other words, what's happening is we are disconnecting. The church is and people are. Why do people do inhuman things? Because they don't feel human anymore. Why do they go with a gun and just shoot people and then shoot themselves? That's not normal, right? Can we agree on that? What's happened is they're not encountering love. They're not encountering real humanity. And we're the real humanity. We're the ones that are God carriers. The reality in America today is just what this woman, Faith Popcorn, said. We're cocooning. We, we just, the way that we're, we're doing life now is we get out, we fight all this traffic, we go to work, we work really hard, 10, 11, 12 hours, and then we just think, oh, I'm so tired, I just want to go home. We fight traffic back home, we lock the doors, we bar them, we put a chair under the doorknob, and no. Uh, and the reality is now, is even conservative statistics say this, one in four Americans have no one, zero people to talk to. One in four. When you take family out from that, family members, it doubles. Half of America has no one if you take family out. And you know how scattered family is right now, right? We got kids and family all over the country. 
Not that it's a bad thing, but it removes them from being your support. And the reality is that isolation is the greatest contributor to early death. You're three times more likely to die before your time when you're living in isolation. It's worse than smoking. It's worse than drinking in excess. It's worse than losing sleep. And into this situation, God drops us. We can be the answer. And Jesus knew 2,000 years ago, church, if you do this, you can transform the world. And it's even easier now because the world is so alone and so hungry and so desperate. And it can start with just a simple smile. I'm not asking you to go save the world. I'm asking you just to be an attentive neighbor and notice. On the count of three, I want you to give me your best smile. Are you ready? One, Tony's already smiling. Two, three, smile. Give me your smile. Come on, you guys. I want you, I want, give me the best smile. We're in church. A good smile. Now, that smile was a manufactured smile, some psychologists would call it. It doesn't matter. Your body and your brain work together. There's all kinds of cool things that happen. Every time that you smile, neuropeptides are released. And the neuropeptides are happy hormones. They're neurotransmitters. like, oh man, is there a party? You know? And then endorphins are released. They're, they're just these, the most powerful painkillers on the planet are these endorphins and you start to feel good. When you laugh and you smile, you feel good, don't you? It's because of endorphins. And then serotonin makes your brain happy. And the beautiful thing, people, is if you smile at a person because of how God has wired us and he knows all this, guess what? Your smile gets contagious. And they experience the elevation of mood just like you. Just because you smiled. Do it for me one more time. One, two, three. Come on. Yes. They're all working. I wish I had like a camera so you could see. You're a good looking group. That's the other thing. Psychologists detest this. They'll show pictures of people when they have a sad face, a straight face, and a smiley face. And they'll say, who's best looking? And they'll always pick the smiley people. In fact, in some of these, they say, we had some people that are not so good looking, but they passed the test because they were smiling. So there's hope for me. All I'm saying to you people is, if we, if we move with the love of God, and we notice people, this little lady in Target, your neighbor, if we take a moment to acknowledge they are eternal human being. They are created by God and they deserve to be noticed. We can change the world. Randy Frazee says that in his studies, every, every American person has 35, at least 35 people that they meet regularly on a day-to-day basis. And so it's like me coming to work and seeing Sharon or any of the staff. These are part of my 35 that are regular. And that's, he says that's a safe figure. Now here's the deal. If we have 350 Bridgewood people and they have 35 regular people and you impact their lives, we have just impacted 12,250 folks. Would you like to impact 12,250 folks? I would like to. And here's the beautiful thing is it doesn't stop there. Because 
Happiness, joy, human contact is contagious. If you have one positive encounter, the likelihood of bringing that positive encounter to the next one is very high. So we could start a revival. What do you think? Shall we? If we abide in the love of God that's always there, knowing that the kingdom is freely ours, because it's so free and it's so steady and it's so stable and it's always there, if we lean on that, there's a natural flow to give it away. And if we do that, we, with Jesus' help, change the world. Let's pray. Lord, we're getting ready to take our offering and I think what you're really asking of us is more than just a tithe, more than just money. You're asking for our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, our smile, our feet, our hands, our home, our car, our time. And we start to panic when we hear that, I think, sometimes, Father, because we go, oh, I only have so much time. But then we got to remember, no, I'm an eternal being. Help us. Help us today with the neighbors we call family, with the neighbors that we have, with the neighbors we have on the road, with the neighbors we meet in the foyer out there or in the parking lot. Lord, help us be a part of your revival where kingdom comes and we experience the joy of living your love out loud. In Jesus' name, amen.